Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Hello and welcome to another Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Andy Daniel, social media coordinator for MPN, and I'm here with Ginny Carnes. She is a MPN board member. Uh, she's also a certified behavioral health peer support specialist working for the Center for Mental Health, and she's been there for the last 10 years. She has an is working through the stress of the COVID-19 pandemic and was recently exposed to COVID-19 and she's in quarantine at this time. Welcome, Ginny. Thank you. (laughs) Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Well, I've been trained as a peer supporter since 2011, but not an official peer supporter until was it 2018, I believe, or 2017? Because we were yeah. in the same class. <laughs> yeah, I was I was the fourth person certified in the state of Montana to be a peer support specialist. So that was pretty exciting. I've worked with the group homes a lot at the Center for Mental Health. And I am currently working for the group homes as the only peer support specialist to, to work with the, the residents. So that's what I'm up to now. (laughs) What was your reaction when you found out that you'd been exposed to COVID-19? First, I was mad. How dare somebody else not take precautions and then expose me? Then it was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'll really get it. So that worries me because I am a high risk. And of course, I also worry about my consumers, uh, my, my residents. Uh, if I was exposed, who all else, and I get it, who else have I exposed? So there's a lot of pressure there. I don't think I've notified everybody yet that I have been in contact with, and I'm still working on that. But it would be a secondary exposure, which is a little different than being directly exposed. Right. So Monday is when I learned about this, this Monday. I got tested on Monday and I'm just now waiting for the results of that test. So I am, as you said, quarantined at home and uh, trying to uh, deal with it. That waiting for the test results, right? It's very concerning or I guess, tell me what your feelings are like around waiting to find out the results of your test frustrating because I think we should be able to get those results a heck of a lot sooner than we are getting them. I mean, uh, I was exposed on the 26th of October. I didn't find out until the 2nd of November. That's a lot of people that I worked with between those two dates. How did it feel to tell your friends that you might have been exposed, that you were exposed and might be positive? really rough because one of my friends just got diagnosed with cancer and she's scheduled to have surgery here pretty soon and I feel just terribly guilty because we spent Saturday evening together although 
the way my house is set up, we were six feet apart. Uh, no, we weren't wearing masks, but we didn't have any, I didn't hug her. We didn't get close to each other. We watched a movie and had dinner. It was pizza. So she had her own and I had my own. So it wasn't like we were sharing the plates, but it felt really bad. I felt really guilty. Uh, my other friend is very sensitive to germs if you want to say it that way. And I was worried how she was going to react. Uh, she took it like a trooper and she's helped me out with a few things that we could do without having any contact. So it was, it was kind of rough letting my friends know. So you've been in quarantine for two days, right? Or we're yes. on your third day today? Third day, yeah. Third day today. What are some things that sort of hit you right away as potential problems? I guess I'm thinking, I, I actually, I was tested way back in May and had to quarantine until I got the test results, right? So it was only a couple of days. So it's not anything like people who are having to quarantine for two weeks, right? But, <laughs> but even during that, those two days, I started thinking about how I was going to get the things that I needed. Can you talk about that a little bit about how, you know, what your process, your like thinking process was about how am I going to get the stuff I need or, you know, how do I connect with people? Just, just talk me through that a little bit. Sure. Um, yesterday was the third. I am on social security because I am on disability. So I also have a payee. I'll admit that readily. I called her up and told her the situation and we made a plan for her to get my funds to me where we did as little contact as possible. Uh, we also both wore masks and used hand sanitizer. Then I connected with my friend and said, hey, this needs to be done and this needs to be done. Can you help me with that? And she said, yes. So I put everything that needed to go with my friend for my financial stuff in a plastic bag and a Ziploc bag. And I wiped it down with hand sanitizer and put it in between the doors and my front porch and told her, you know, it's, it's in between the doors, come and get it. And she came by, got it, did everything that needed to be done and brought it back. And I shut the door after I picked it up from between the doors. And then she called me. She said, I'm sitting on the, the bench at the bottom of your stairs. Come on out and talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I put on my mask and put my chair up on the porch. And there's quite a few steps. So it's quite a distance away. And we sat and chatted. The next step was to figure out how to get groceries in the house. And I was up until probably 2.30 this morning. I can't say I was actually worried, worried, but obviously disturbed enough I couldn't sleep. So I got online and I ordered from Walmart. I tried to get it delivery, couldn't. So I had to go pick it up this morning. I picked it up between seven and eight, which is a good time because there's hardly anybody around. And it was contactless, of course. And then I got home and, and unloaded it. And that, that took a lot out of me. So I was surprised, but I got a lot of groceries. So I'm, I'm set for the month. 
That's good. It's nice that you have some people that you can call on to, to help you with that. I know that's that's a concern for some people if they don't have a good network. I, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have been tempted to go out to the bank, which, yeah, that's contactless, but still it's it's exposing people to dirty money. Right. I don't like that. I didn't like going out this morning to pick up my groceries. I would much have preferred that they deposit it on my front porch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, I understand that. So you seem very concerned about the possibility of you spreading it to other people. Can you tell me a little bit about your feelings around that? Is there anxiety? Is there fear? Like, just tell me a little bit about that. Yes, there is anxiety because some of the people that I haven't notified yet, we were in close contact. We were masked, but it was a meeting and it was in a small room and I'm feeling very anxious about that. I need to get a hold of the person in charge of that department and talk to them. So there is anxiety. I don't worry so much that I might end up in the hospital, but I am worried that they are going to be involved in this, which means that the domino effect starts falling. That concerns me very much. I'm so frustrated that the world thinks this is a big joke. It's not just you. It's everybody. And people need to stop and think of that. You know, well, I don't have to wear a mask because this is a republic. And yeah, that's true. But what about the person next to you and the person on the other side? Think of them. Yeah, right, right. So you you work as a peer supporter. So you're usually, you know, in contact with people all the time, right? You've got a lot of personal contact with people through your job. How has your employer reacted to this? Like, what are they supportive um, of this? Or, you know, just, just tell me a little bit about how your employer's handling this. They're very supportive. Of course, I have had to do a couple of reports to start any processes if I do come up positive, which is fine. And But they are very supportive. If I need something, all I have to do is call them. And I think we're talking about possibly working from home which would be really cool. I could make a lot of phone calls and get a lot done, but I haven't heard directly from my supervisor on that yet. You know, we've, we've talked about the working from home thing in a couple other podcasts. And for those of us who work for Montana's Peer Network, this is, this is really not a change for us because we're all remote. We all work from home, right? And so it wasn't quite as much of an adjustment for us as it is for other people, especially people like you who work directly with people all the time. And I can imagine that not being able to do that work, right, is disruptive to just that. It is because, this is crazy, I started working with the group home residents on the 19th. Oh. On, on the 22nd, I was in a car accident. I hate to say it was my fault. No major injuries, just a sprained, strained wrist. I didn't lose any work time except for the day of the accident. And thank goodness nobody was in the car with me. 
And then this happened on the next Monday. So I really feel that it would be very beneficial to work from home and call everybody and ask them, where do you want to be and what do you want to be doing in five years? You know, get, yeah. get all of that started and in place so that when I come back, we can just get on it and roll, you know, roll with it and get the recovery program started in the homes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of maybe disappointing in some ways. It's disappointing that you, were you excited to start this new <laughs> job, right? Like, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and the funny thing was the night before I started, I didn't sleep at all. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, this is a new job. And I'm going, wait a minute. You've been a peer supporter. You've worked with the group home folks. There's nothing new about this, but there is. It's, this is the first of, of a kind program for the Center for Mental Health. And I feel pressure to develop a program that's, you know, vibrant and, and strong in the, in the area of recovery. It, is, it was exciting and this is big setback for me. So let's switch gears a little bit and tell me what kind of coping skills you're using to get through this quarantine. First thing is I get out of bed. Because if I don't get out of bed, I'm going to stay there. The second thing is, is to work on projects. Uh, this podcast is one of those projects <laughs> that, that Jim and I talked about that would be a good thing to do. I'm writing my story, so I'm working on that. Obviously, I did my grocery shopping online last night. So I'm trying to find things to do. There's always some cleaning that can be done in the house. Laundry, uh, dishes, as she rolled her eyes. <laughs> uh, and keeping in touch with friends uh, and trying to see if I can work from home. I only work four hours a day, five days a week, or five hours a day, four days a week, or whatever combination is needed for the job. And I can do that from home, at least until I get everybody contacted. And uh, hopefully by then I'll come back negative. <laughs> <laughs> what are some self-care strategies that you use because your coping skills that you talked about are all sort of task focused, right? I, <laughs> you know, and and I get that, right? Like I need my mind, like yeah. you know, focused on something a lot of times. But are there some self care things that you're doing also? Yes, I have Sirius XM radio in my house, and there's a station called Spa. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's an excellent station. It is. 98% instrumental music, and it is mostly soft and relaxing. And I will put that on if I want to take a nap and I'll be asleep in 15 minutes or less, or I'll put it on and get my book out. I'm on the fifth book of the Outlander series. It's a big book. It has over <laughs> 900 pages in it. <laughs> and I read and I I love that. I just relax and get into the book and live in another time, in another place, and listen to that gorgeous music. So that's one of the relaxation skills, self-care skills that I do. 
Yeah, those are great examples of, of self-care and things that are easy to do in quarantine, right? If you're yes. not, if you can't go out and do things that you enjoy doing as self-care, you've got some stuff that you can do in your house. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I love videos. I, I, I just finished the Bella, no, not Bella Lugosi, but uh, one of the horror guys movies, the older ones, Boris Karloff. <laughs> Enjoyed a six film series from him that was really good and, and very interesting because it talked about developments in medicine. And one of the developments that he was working with that he got in trouble for was an artificial heart. Oh, interesting. So that was very interesting. And the other one was reducing people's temperatures to fight like cancers and diseases. And of course that didn't work out too well either. <laughs> and I don't think we've quite come that far yet, but it was really, it was really fun and interesting. Um, I enjoyed watching it. It wasn't so horror-ish, you know, like they are now. It was, and there was one that was a comedy. So, so that was pretty good. So you're waiting for your test to come back. Yes. If it comes back negative, do you know how long you'll still be in quarantine or will they release you? Do you know? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, the place that I got tested seems to think that as soon as I get the results back, I can go back. But I've heard another place say you need to quarantine the full 10 to 14 days. Yeah, yeah. So I will I will check for sure with the, the doctors at, uh, the place where I got tested, just to make sure. Yeah, it seems like county to county, there are different guidelines. Uh, probably called city county health. And oh, right. Them. Yeah. 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 That's, that's generally, at least here, how people are dealing with things is with the county health department, but they are also overwhelmed <laughs> trying to do all of the contact tracing and stuff like that. And um, I guess you kind of experienced that, right? Like, the place that you were exposed, someone, someone else that you know got notification that they were exposed at that place on that day, right? Yes. Tell me about the sequence of events. That... Well, the Monday that we went, walked in there and saw the case manager and, and his client and like, oh, hi. <laughs> we sat down on the far side of the waiting room but well they went in had their stuff done and then we went in as they were leaving and it was a staff member at the office that had been exposed and so we left and we we were there for hours literally hours and most of the time we weren't exposed to anybody it was just the last 45 minutes um, we were in close contact with people so I didn't think anything of it I just went along and Monday I was almost finished with work I I'd clock out at noon and the boss called me and told me that so-and-so was exposed at such and such office on such and such day and I said wait a minute and I flipped in my appointment book found that yes, that was in fact where I was with my 
client. And I told her, and she goes, oh, no. <laughs> I said, I will call them and check. So I called them, checked, called her back. She said, go home now. Immediately. Drop everything. Go. So I did. And I drove directly to the testing site and was tested. And then do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Drove straight home. And... Um, started making my phone calls to my friends. My sister was the first one I called, but she's in Kansas, so there's no threat. <laughs> the interesting thing about that, I think, is that you were not contacted by a health person that you had been a contact. And I'm not saying that they wouldn't have contacted you, right? Yeah. But, but it's a testament to the amount of work that that these organizations like health departments and stuff are dealing with that leaves a lot of unknowns I think and that not just for people who have been exposed but I feel like for people who haven't been even there's a lot of unknowns out there how are you feeling about this whole thing before your exposure I think I was leery because I had had a secondary exposure earlier, but that was the secondary and I wasn't as scared on that one or as worried or concerned. I just, with this one, it's a whole lot different. It makes it really, really real. Uh, knowing that I could end up in ICU on a ventilator, uh, knowing that every person I walked past may have been exposed because I was exposed. It's very eye-opening. There's another word I want to use and I can't think of it, but it's a powerful word. People have just got to believe that this is real. I know my thoughts when I see the total count of the deaths, this is unnecessary. 200 and, or 300 and some odd never needed to happen. You know, things could have been handled much better, I think. It's just very frustrating. Can you talk about the numbers? One of my coping strategies is math, which sounds ridiculous, but I, I've created spreadsheets of all of the numbers so I can make graphs and I can see where things are going. And I don't know why that's therapeutic for me, but you know what? It gives me a sense of control. I have no control over this, right? None of us have any control over this, but it, it gives me some sort of sense of control, yeah. I guess, about it. Do you, do you find that uh, a lack of a sense of control is, I don't know if trigger is the right word, but do you think that's part of your feelings around this? Yes, because I couldn't control the person in front of me and I feel they're gonna think they couldn't control me in being exposed. I wear my mask, I wash my hands, I use hand sanitizer, I spray the car. <laughs> I do all of that, but there's always a possibility that I could miss something and pass it on. And I, that scares the heck out of me. It, it really makes me feel like I'm out of control. 
Yeah, I think that's the frustrating part for a lot of us is that even if we're doing all of the things that we have been told to do to decrease the chances, there are people who aren't doing that. And those people are affecting us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that, that loss of control or... I don't know. I, I think that's just, I'm going to keep going back to this, but um, I feel like that's a really big part of this whole thing is that, that we do lack that um, control. I, I can't think of another instance where I felt that out of control of my own health and safety. During all this COVID, I have worked every day, except the, when the stress got so big, I had to take a mental health day or two or three or four. And I have worked every day and now I'm stuck not working. And I, I don't understand why was I not exposed earlier? Well, I, I kind of do understand because we had the shutdown. So people weren't out and now we don't have the shutdown and people are out. And I think people are fatigued, right? They're, they have COVID fatigue. I think if, if something bad doesn't happen and you're in this heightened state of, you know, concern and, and under these restrictions and stuff, I think for some people, if nothing bad happens for X amount of time, they start to let their guard down, right? And I, I've been guilty of that a little bit myself. Like at the beginning, I was like, nobody's allowed in my house, right? And then, and then it got, well, you know, I trust these people have been doing what they're supposed to do. So maybe that's okay, right? And then- Then this happens. Yeah, and then this, this happens. happens. And you've had your two best friends in the house on the same day at the same time. And one of them is really in a high risk zone. So since this all began, how have the restrictions affected like your either at work or in your personal life, like those, those physical contacts, right? Like handshakes or hugs or something like that. Oh, it's all gone to elbow bumps. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, my one friend is not really a huggy type person. My other friend is, but we keep it for special occasions. You know, like when one of us has really been traumatized or something, then we'll, we'll hug. But yeah, it's gone to the elbow bump with the shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> a long sleeve shirt. And I've wanted to shake hands or I've wanted to hug, but I'm going, oh, can't do that. You know, put my hands up and say, can't do that. And then just do the elbow bump. I don't even do the fist bump anymore. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. I've, I've had people say, I can't hug you, can I? I'm like, nope, you cannot <laughs> hug me, right? I'm not that kind of person really a lot anyway. But yeah, I felt glued no, to my cannot. chair. I felt glued <laughs> to my chair that day that my friend was there that, that she's, you know, she's just gotten this less than a week has been told that she has cancer and it's like I'm I'm glued to my chair I can't go over and can't hug her I can't touch her I can't pat her shoulder I can't do anything and I'm glad I didn't 
has any of this been like a a trigger for some of your past mental health issues? Not yet. I suppose if I am, if this has gone to a positive result, I could see it maybe triggering that desire to isolate, climb into bed, pull the covers over my head and not come out. And, and that's what I worry about too. That's why I have to make sure that I have some structure and some things that I need to do to get me out of bed. Yeah, that's great. We talk about that a lot in, in recovery planning, right? That at the beginning, sometimes that's, that's all you can do. It's great that you have that in your mind as a plan, right? That yeah. you, you need to push yourself to get out of bed every day. Well, I, I have been in recovery since 1999, but even since then, I have had times where the depression has come back in and I have not been able to get out of bed. So I can't say I'm cured. I don't think any of us can, but I am less likely to isolate, except now I have to. <laughs> I'm less likely to isolate in a crisis than I was. Yeah, that isolation, we actually, we talk about that so much in recovery, right? That, that isolation is, is bad for recovery. And for people with substance use issues, isolation can bring those, those issues back up again, right? It's going to make people more susceptible to using again, and for people who have a history of depression or anxiety or whatever, right? The isolation brings those out uh, yeah. again also. So how are you connecting with other people during this period of time? Phone, text. I'm not really big on Facebook, but I do reach out on Facebook. You know, I try to share positive things or react to positive things and just keep in contact with somebody. My sister's gonna get tired of me calling, but <laughs> she understands, she, she finally understands my situation. After years of not understanding, she understands. So that's great, uh, I can reach out to her. So family support is important. I haven't had it for many, many years, so I'm gonna take advantage of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, use the resources you have, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Is there anything else you wanted to share? People, it's real. It's real. Believe it. Take care of yourselves. That's a great place to stop. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ginny. This has been really important to hear from somebody who's actually going through the process. Well, thank you for having me. You have a great day. You too. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works, recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.